Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for the goodness that you give to us, your goodness that you share with us and give to us. Pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the message in your word and that we would become better people for having, uh, having listened and having incorporated into our lives. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I imagine we can all recall times in our lives when we faced serious disappointment. Uh, you know, we're in a time right now where there could be discouragement and disappointment. But I'm talking maybe a time in your life when you were expecting something special, and then what you ended up getting was anything but. You know, I saw a video clip, <clears throat> Carmen and I were watching, of a prank gifting. And it had these two kids, they were about 13, 15, right in that, two brothers, on Christmas morning, opening a Christmas gift. It was this great big box, kind of a great big flat box. And as they tore open the Christmas wrapping, <clears throat> you could see picture on each side of a gigantic flat screen TV. And these kids, they just start celebrating. They're high-fiving. They're not even opening the box. They're just, they just saw the picture and just started going nuts. And finally, the parents go, open it. And so they start opening it. Closed. <laughs> they were not happy. But maybe more into our lives. How about finding out your company was not able to give the raises that they had promised earlier in the year? Or maybe having to, to uh, cancel a planned vacation due to something like the COVID pandemic? Or how about our high school seniors this year having all the end of school senior activities placed in limbo? That's pretty disappointing, isn't it? Because life can deliver some pretty tough disappointments. And we can become discouraged when we face those disappointments, when things don't come out like we were expecting, like we were hoping, like we had planned for. And sometimes, you know, one thing can kind of darken our whole world. But I want to show you an instance in Israel's history when God's people faced a serious disappointment. <clears throat> it was a time when so much was expected, yet what they received seemed like so little. And then what God said to them. This was a time in Israel's history that God had planned to bring them back from captivity. They had take, been taken into captivity to the land of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, they had been taken because of their, their uh, you know, sinfulness toward God, their idolatry and every, everything else. And he took them out of their homeland. But now the time had come according to, God, to God's schedule to bring them back to their homeland. So God put it into the heart of King Cyrus 
because <coughs> he had taken over Babylon's kingdom. The Medo-Persians had conquered the Babylonians, and now King Cyrus was the king at this time. And God had put it into his heart to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem and to build the Jewish temple, the one that King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. So the Israelites return to their land, the captives. They begin rebuilding the temple. They encountered a lot of opposition from their nearby enemies who did not want them to resettle, to rebuild the temple. And then the project just stopped. You know, they had a lot of pushback, and it was getting tough on them, and so they stopped the project. And now we're 18 years later than that, than the time that they return. And they are well settled back into their land. And they're building nice homes for themselves. And they're, and they're getting, you know, adjusted to everything. But they left the temple undone. They laid the foundation. They ran into the trouble. And so they stopped, and they never got back to it. 18 years after they had come back. So God sends the prophet Haggai <clears throat> excuse me, to the governor and the high priest, telling them, you have dishonored God by allowing his house to be laid in rubble, to remain in ruins. And the people... Well, Haggai tells them, you need to get back to what you were doing. The people heard the Lord's command. They repented of their wrong attitude, their neglectful attitude, their dishonoring of God. And they determined to obey the Lord. That's one of the good times in Israel's history, right? So God, in response to their humble reaction to his you know, command, he promised them that he would give them his helpful presence. He would be with them. Then he stirred up their spirit, their spirits to, work, to the work he had called them to, which energized them, motivated them, and they got busy. And they started building. You know, so often that is the way it happens. It's when we recognize our wrong and we humble ourselves and we turn to God and we do the thing that we knew he wanted us to do in the first place and then he starts helping and then things start going because it's a heart change that often does it. And that's what it way, the way it was with Israel at that time. They had a heart change. So <clears throat> that ended chapter 1 of Haggai on a very positive note. The people heeded the voice of the Lord, and the work went forward. But you know something? As much as it may seem right to us that when we obey God, everything then goes very smoothly, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? I want you to listen to what happens as the Israelites finally get back to rebuilding the temple and start making some progress. I'm in Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to read the first three verses. <clears throat> it 
Hey guys, three books before the New Testament. The end, almost the end of the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 2, first three verses. It says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor, or governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. <clears throat> Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? He's talking about the Solomon's temple. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? <clears throat> if you read back into the Old Testament history books where it gives an account of this, uh, the time of the rebuilding of the temple. There is this great, all, at one point, there's this great outcry from all the people as they see the temple being rebuilt. The problem is, some of the people were crying out in joy. Some of the people were wailing and grieving. It was the younger people who hadn't seen Solomon's temple that were crying out in joy because they had a temple. It was the older people who had seen Solomon's temple. They got discouraged. <clears throat> and then the Lord says here, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? I want to show you why these people were discouraged, the older people. And I'm going to read... It's in, you can kind of read different parts of it in different places, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, I'm just going to read a little passage. We won't stay in there. But it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 where I'm reading. I'm reading now the New Living Translation because it gives <coughs> uh, amounts and stuff that are easier to understand. And in, in the beginning of chapter 3, it says, So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord. And now I'm moving down to verse 3. And I want you to listen to the description of this temple. The foundation for the temple of God was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. The foyer at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. The inner walls of the foyer and ceiling were overlaid with pure gold. The roof of the foyer was 30 feet high. The main room of the temple was paneled with cypress wood, overlaid with pure gold, and decorated with carvings of palm trees and chains. The walls of the temple were decorated with beautiful, with beautiful jewels and with pure gold from the land of Parvaeum. All the walls, beams, doors, and thresholds throughout the temple were overlaid with gold, and figures of cherubim were carved on the walls. The most holy place, the inner sanctuary, was 30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple, and it was also 30 feet deep. Its interior was overlaid with about 23 tons of pure gold. They used gold nails that weighed about 20 ounces each. 
The walls of the upper rooms were also overlaid with pure gold. That's just the very beginning. And then it goes on to talk about the carvings and talk about the utensils and talk about the, the things, that the, the sea that they called the sea where the priests washed. And it was so elaborate, so amazing. And you can imagine why these people were looking at this new temple thinking, are you kidding me? And you know, this temple <clears throat> is going to be like the central part of their culture. It was an expression of the glory of God. And then as you read through it, you see how enormous and how exquisite and how, you know, they got the best craftsmen. It was mind-boggling. So you can see the disappointment in those who had seen the earlier house. But now I want you to look and see what God says about this. In verses 4 and 5, we're back in the prophet Haggai. He says, it, it looks, uh, he said there, does it, not, does it not seem like to you like nothing? And he says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. He's talking about their nation, of course. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. <clears throat> so imagine yourself in that day, standing before the temple, this rebuilt temple, or somewhat rebuilt, and you're not impressed, and you're thinking, maybe you're part of the older group, and you're thinking, is this what we're going to have to live with? Is this our nation's temple? And then here comes God's prophet, Haggai, and he says, be strong says it to the governor, says it to the high priest, and then to all the people. Be strong. Be strong. Work. Dig in. For I am with you. This is what I covenanted with you when you left Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Don't fear. Get to work. You know, some of the people, as we saw, were discouraged, very discouraged. It said that the screaming at the beginning when they first were seeing the temple, it, it, it was so loud, and they couldn't discern who was crying and who was screaming for joy. <clears throat> but as some of the people were so discouraged when they saw the temple, we see that God wasn't discouraged, was he? And it was his home. You know, God might have said, are you kidding me? Is that all you think of me? That shack? You expect me to put my presence in that cracker box? But that wasn't God's response, was it? 
Now, God did have a negative response when they didn't get back to the temple project for 16 years. He didn't like that. But the fact that it was so much less than Solomon's temple, that didn't seem to bother him at all. Take heart. Be strong. He spoke words of encouragement. I am here with you. My presence is with you. My spirit remains among you. That's the covenant I made when you came out of Egypt. It's still there. And just think for a moment. You know, God mentions when, he came out of e when they came out of Egypt. Just think what God's presence meant back then. As, they were, as he was freeing them from Egyptian slavery. Just think of all the pounding of the... Uh, the plagues, the devastating plagues, pounding the land, really decimating Egypt, the land of Egypt. Think of how he destroyed Pharaoh's army when they tried to recapture the Israelites who were fleeing. Think of how God led them in the wilderness for 40 years and took care of them. Think of how he took them into the land and began conquering all those tribes, all those nations in Canaan. Think of how he shepherded them as a young nation by giving them strong military leaders, giving them prophets and judges and kings and the priesthood. He was with them all the way through. And there were times they would turn away from him and he would allow them to suffer the consequences of turning away from him. And they paid for it dearly from time to time, but he was always with them. And they could always turn back to him. And he would always help them. And a lot of times, so much beyond their means, he would help them. So God is not bothered by the meager size of this rebuilt temple, is he? It's not the size of the temple that determines God's presence or his, the amount of help, is it? It's whether God is with them. And when he decides to help them. And it was when they admitted their wrong and they humbled themselves and they turned to him. It says he stirred their spirits and they got to work and they began making progress. He promised his presence and help. Now you think of Solomon when he built the temple. You know, he was probably the wealthiest man on earth. I'm not sure what where that fits in <clears throat> in his career. But he was extremely wealthy, we know that. And he honored God by lavishing his riches upon the building of the temple. I'm sure he didn't lavish enough riches to leave him as a pauper, but he did lavish riches upon building the temple. But you know, these returning from captivity... They don't have the, the riches, do they? They don't have the wealth. But they responded, they repented of their neglect, and they humbled themselves. And then God said, be strong. Don't fear. Get back to work. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. He was right with them. Just because they humbled themselves, they said, we're going to do what you say. 
And I believe it's really telling <clears throat> that God allowed, I think this says something, this says so much about God. God allowed that beautiful, glorious, breathtaking temple made of tons and tons of gold that Solomon had dedicated to him, God allowed that thing to be totally destroyed. You know, I was thinking, <clears throat> he could allow, have allowed his people to be taken off to Babylon, and then when anybody raised a hand against the temple, he'd strike him with a lightning bolt. said, don't touch my temple, don't touch my house. But God didn't do that, did he? He allowed the Babylonians to just totally destroy the temple. It was, a, it was a pile of rubble. And not only that, but also, you know, when Herod built that massive temple in the days before Jesus, when Jesus, you know, used that temple, God again allowed the Romans to come in in 70 A.D. and totally destroy that temple. So God doesn't seem to be into the uh, business of protecting buildings dedicated to him. He doesn't seem to be worried about his image. But he is into helping those who humble themselves and trust him to be there for them when he says he will. That's what he's into. And you know, <clears throat> another thing as we look into this whole matter of the Israelites humbling themselves before God, getting back to the work of rebuilding the temple. You know, when we humble ourselves and submit to his will, we also can't then assume that every time everything will be smooth sailing from then on. In fact, we know from the Bible <clears throat> that as God's children, we will face difficulties and trials just by walking along the pathway that God wants us on. And the Bible tells us that trials build perseverance, and perseverance builds character, and character builds hope. And that hope is not going to shame us because it is in Jesus Christ who never fails. So God uses trials to strengthen us. So even when we humble ourselves and we do and we're experiencing his help and strength, there will be, you know, trials along the way. That's for our good. So what we have basically <clears throat> is that the size of the temple or the amount of gold or silver used were not the crucial factors. It was really the people turning to God in repentance and trusting him to be there with them. Because God draws close to the humble, and he resists the proud. But now I want to show you another reason why God wasn't worried about this temple being so much less than Solomon's. And this is an even, an even more exciting reason. It's the last verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. 
And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. All the riches of the world is, are his, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. He's talking about Solomon's temple, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> He's telling them they don't have to fret or lament or be discouraged or disappointed with this rebuilt temple even though it does not come close to the beauty or splendor or, or the grand, grandiose of Solomon's temple. Why? Because he says he has plans for a temple in the future that they will not believe. This temple will have one day greater glory than even Solomon's temple. <clears throat> and he says there's going to be this big shakeup heaven and earth, seas and dry land, <clears throat> all the nations. Then he will fill this house with glory, glory greater than Solomon's temple. He says, all the precious metals of the earth belong to me. They're all mine. And one day that will be evident. One day that will be seen by the world. And he says, at the time of this shakeup, this will far outshine any temple you've ever seen. Don't worry about comparing this meager temple to Solomon's massive, glorious structure. Because there is a major shakeup coming. Everything will be basically turned upside down on its head concerning who is in control and what gets honored. Because he's going to shake everything up. <clears throat> He's talking about our future hope in Christ and in his kingdom that's coming. Right now, in our world, the earthly powerful and the unrighteous often exercise the top rule. <clears throat> you know, all over the world. And usually it's might by right, isn't it? Throughout history and throughout the world, we see corruption in high places. We see the unrighteous power wielders taking advantage of the less powerful just because they can. <clears throat> we see people honored and admired who mock God's standards. <clears throat> we see people who, you know, couldn't care less about the Bible or could care less about God or they deny his existence boastfully while they just enjoy his creation. <clears throat> but one day God is going to shake it all up. He's going to put everything in its proper order. In that day, right will be right. Wrong will be wrong. Nobody will be able to contest what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Everyone Everyone will acknowledge God's answer to good and evil. Everyone will bow down to what God says and bow down before Christ. And he says in that day, what is desired by the nations will come. 
And on that day, God's house will be filled with glory. Now, when he says, what is desired by the nations will come, let's see if we can get that. I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. <clears throat> now, many people believe that's when, when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, and that could be that. Then he said, you know, then the house will be filled with glory, the glory of Christ. I kind of think that it's when Christ returns and he sets up his kingdom, and then the Bible talks about all the nations bringing their riches to lay at the feet of Christ. All over the world, bringing their riches, you know, their talents to serve the king. And in that day, the glory of of the temple will far outshine Solomon's temple. Christ will be there. And all the riches coming in will exalt Christ. So, in that sense, what is desired by the world, because right now, you know, Christ is not desired by the world, but what is desired by the world could be the wealth of the nations when they bring and submit them to Christ. You know, sometimes when we try to <clears throat> piece everything together in the Bible in order to paint a picture of the end times, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, trying to uh, put things together. The Bible does give us certain amounts of information, but it seems to me that we always have to hold back to some degree because things can change so quickly and so dramatically just an instant. And then we have prophecies like this that say, he's going to shake it all up. So it could be anything we see now won't look anything like it will in the future. But what we know is that after the shakeup, the glory of the present house at that time will surpass. Well, he's saying the, the, the temple that they're looking at right now, the glory of this house will surpass the glory of Solomon's temple. The, the glory at the house that they're looking at with disappointment and discouragement is going to far outshine the glory of Solomon's temple because the kingdom of God will be on the earth and the glorious king of all creation will be ruling in complete righteousness and righteousness will be exalted and anything evil will be put down. And I think when he's saying the glory of this present house and they're looking at that temple that looks so meager and nothing in comparison, I think he's saying that house represents the future temple because this one was built in humility. It was built in people obeying God in hard times. It was built with people who humbled themselves and turned to God and trusted him when he said, be strong. I will be with you. And they built it in the time when their enemies kept trying to stop them. So really, what I think this all leads to is that it's a matter of the heart. Anyone who gives their heart to Christ 
anyone who repents of their sins and turns to him for salvation, who places our full trust in Christ, we will witness the future glory of the kingdom of Christ, and we will see that temple that far outshines Solomon. And we will see the wealth of the nations brought to Jerusalem to honor the king of glory. Some of us will probably be in that train coming to the temple, bringing the wealth of the nations. And anything that we give up here in order to follow Christ, any treasures that we think are are worthy treasures, anything we give up here in order to follow Christ, they will seem so insignificant once we're in front of Christ. We won't even be able to believe that I thought of not giving this up. We won't be able to believe that we thought Solomon's temple was so special. It will pale in comparison to the temple in which Christ will reign. So here's the deal. We can see all kinds of trouble around us in this life. And we do see quite a bit of trouble right now, don't we? In our nation especially. There's the pandemic around the world, but then there's all this unrest and chaos in our nation, and we don't know where it's going to lead. And it may be discouraging if we see people who have the opposite values of ours start taking control. We don't know what will happen in the end. And it can be discouraging to see people receive honors who are not honorable. And you have the opposite values being held up as valuable or good. You see the wrong values being celebrated. And maybe as followers of Christ, we may get pushed aside. And sometimes we may wonder, is this faith in God worth it? Will it actually ever work? And so we're looking at our temple, and it seems so puny. And we look at the glory and admiration others receive who exalt themselves. And we wonder, can this be all worth it? But God says, be strong, work, humble yourselves. I will be with you. And one day the glory of the temple, this temple, will far exceed the glory of Solomon's temple. And we will be a part of that kingdom. Because we've turned to Christ. So don't allow the trinkets of the world to pull your sights away from the future glorious kingdom of God. Always remember There's a glorious kingdom coming. There's a glorious kingdom coming. It's coming. It's for all who will put their faith in Christ. It's for all who will push aside glory now to get the glory later. And it's going to be amazing. And we're going to be...
going to be unbelievable to think that we thought Solomon's temple was anything special. So be strong and work, for he is with us, and we need not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful promises in your word. There are promises that we cannot imagine now from what we see, but we, we know that the promises you gave earlier came true. We know that you did send your son. We know that he went to the cross to die for our sins. We know that everything has come true so far. And so, Father, help us to put our full trust and energy in what you want us to do and to honor what is truly honorable, which one day will come to be seen by the whole world what was truly honorable. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.